Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by my colleague, Jay Shavit, to discuss EasyJet's annual results and the Air India Vistar merger. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Hi, Ned. I'm fine. How are you? Good. How was your Thanksgiving holiday? Oh, yeah, it was it was pretty quiet, but uh, yeah, it was, it was nice. Nice to get a break, as always. Definitely. Neither of us uh, flew anywhere over the holiday, but I saw the TSA screened the most passengers it has since the pandemic began on Sunday. So travel is definitely back. Entire Thanksgiving travel period. Uh, the volumes were still down a bit in the U.S. from 2019, but I suspect that some of that is just that the prices are a lot higher. The prices um, are higher and capacity is down a little bit, too. So capacity is down. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's almost the question of can airlines even fly as many people as they did in 2019 at the moment. But mm-hmm. yeah, it looks uh, it looked like a robust period for airlines. No operational, big operational headaches that to be, you know, that that sort of broke. Sounds like it was a good, busy period. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important to that you mentioned that, that uh, operationally, I think the U.S. airlines have, and it is probably true of Europe and most of the world, I think the airlines have, have more or less kind of got the problems that they faced this spring and summer kind of behind them. And uh, they didn't, you know, it was, it was somewhat costly uh, for them to, to, you know, address those problems. They had to, you know, cut, cut capacity that maybe they didn't want to cut and uh, perhaps, you know, added people that they, you know, necessarily didn't need. And so they're operating a little bit less productively, you know, more spare aircraft, that kind of thing. But, you know, ultimately for passengers and, you know, for airlines too, it's good that they seem to have, you know, gotten that under control. Seems seems much less messy now than it was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, as we Thanksgiving is now in the rearview mirror and airlines are looking forward to the Christmas and New Year's holidays, let's switch uh let's let's transition over to europe and easyjet dropped their results what uh what did they have to say yeah um it was a pretty good news story and um the uh i'm gonna start with throwing some numbers uh at you here so easyjet for the they report semi-annually so not quarterly just twice a year not four times a year and their um operating margin which is a, always a good way to kind of compare different airlines for the six months between April and September, so that's the spring and summer, that's your peak season, uh, was 12%. So pretty good. And just for comparison's sake, you know, IAG was 11%, Air France KLM 9%, Lufthansa Group 8%. That's over those same six months. Um, however, Ryanair was 24%. So just to put things in perspective, EasyJet is a well-run, solidly profitable airline. They're getting back on their feet after the pandemic. But don't think of them as Ryanair-like in terms of their profitability. Very different kind of business model, different, uh, yeah, just different earnings capability. So, Right, um, they target uh, busy airports, generally city primary, primary airports, slot controlled in their terms. You know, I flew them this summer out of Gatwick, an airport that Ryanair doesn't serve. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're very, they try to be sort of that, more affordable airline, but in the main airport, Schiphol, Gatwick, you know, wherever, wherever you look is, is generally what EasyJet is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very central part of their business model is they've amassed a nice kind of collection of slots at these airports where you have controls on the number of slots. And so they're willing to, you know, incur a higher cost for that, you know, operating from an airport like Gatwick, which by the way, is their busiest airport. 
Um, that's not cheap, but they also can command a revenue premium because they have you know such a great position there. They have a large number of slots. And uh, yeah, you mentioned some of the other airports where that's true. They've been kind of, they're always on the hunt for more. You know, anytime slots become available, they always try to gobble some up. So uh, they recently grabbed a bunch from Lisbon uh, in Portugal. Yeah, poor and, Tap had to Tap had to, to uh, um, divest them due to for their um, in as a condition of the aid they received during the pandemic. Correct. Right, and they, um, you know, Ryanair wanted those slots as well. Whaling wanted those slots, and EasyJet kind of promised that they'd go in with their you know large larger A three twenty one aircraft. So they provided more seats. So that was you know enabled them to kind of grab a hold of those, and then they um, grabbed some slots in Greece and some other places. Um, Greece, Portugal, also um, Turkey, North Africa, including Egypt and Tunisia and Morocco. Those have been kind of where they've grown the most, um, which kind of makes sense. That's where, you know, leisure travel, is, as you know, is just kind of booming. And that's where a lot of people have been going to seek. A lot of Europeans have been going to seek this, seek the sunshine. Um, so that's, uh, you know, been driving a lot of their growth. Now, importantly, it's I should mention that their tra- their capacity in terms of seats, um, this was, I was looking at this, you know, in, in uh, deal by Syrium earlier, uh, their capacity is still way down from 2019 levels. And that's again, different from Ryanair, even Wizz Air for that matter, whose capacity, their capacity is up versus three years ago. So EasyJet still has a ways to go in building back. Yeah. Um, there's a few places where they've really, taken a lot of capacity out on Germany comes to mind. Um, they've really downsized. They pulled out of Frankfurt and Stuttgart and Dusseldorf and their Berlin capacity is way down. So, Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, we wrote about this on Airline Weekly last week, just before the holiday. Eurowings is, is expanding rapidly in Berlin and, and they their CEO directly cited cutbacks by EasyJet and to a lesser extent Ryanair for, for their growth in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if some competitors like Eurowings can you know take advantage of that in Germany. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of in summary that it's a big part of their business model is, you know, they're kind of airport real estate, quote unquote. Um, they're also very successful when it comes to ancillary charging. They've been able to grow that a lot. That's a central component of their business model. And they've done a good job as well with uh, this EasyJet holidays business where they actually package, you know, flights and hotels and perhaps, you know, other travel products. Um, and that's been going very well. That's been profitable for them. They even say that's going to be profitable this winter, which is always a big challenge for European airlines is, you know, kind of not losing your shirt during the winter, during the off-peak season. Uh, so they, that's always, you know, that's right now a very major uh, priority for them is try to find ways to not lose so much money during the winter. So they say this holidays thing will, you know, help in that regard. And then they're also... Um, They've gotten some pilots to accept seasonal contracts where they don't work for a couple of months during the winter, you know, in those really bad months like January and February. Right. And they have bases that are seasonal as well, where they're just not flying planes there January, February. Um, so, yeah, those are just just a little bit of a flavor of what EasyJet's, you know, doing to try to recover from the pandemic and boost their earnings. Did you, sorry, did you say, Jay, that they, they expect to be profitable this winter or is it just a minimizing losses during the during the low period? No, what they said was that their EasyJet holidays division um, was they expected to be profitable this, this winter. They did not 
Um, I don't believe they gave guidance for the entire airline, uh, but it's just that, that holidays uh, division, which is, um, I have the numbers here somewhere, but it's not, it's not a very, very large percentage of the airline. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still somewhat of a sideshow for now, but it's growing very fast. Okay. Well, that sounds like, I mean, it sounds like EasyJet is making a lot of progress on the sort of growth strategy that they had outlined in August 20 or September, 2021, when they did a big capital raise, which was like you said, to expand their vacations business uh, expand seasonal bases, build up their presence in slot-controlled airports, especially in places like Portugal and Greece. So it sounds like they're really putting a lot of those those points, you know, you know, putting proof to <laughs> proof to their to their words, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think they're 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 doing a good job of uh, you know fulfilling their promises to investors. Um, and just just I do have some numbers. These are in U.S. dollars. Um, EasyJet holidays. For the entire fis- their fiscal year, which ends September, and that runs all the way back to you know October 2021, EasyJet Holidays had a $50 million operating profit on $450 million in revenues. So that's a double-digit margin right there. And they think those profits are going to hit $120 million before long, so 50 to 120. Wow. Um, so it's yeah, it's a, it's a nice little business they have running there, and they say it's very low risk. You know, they're basically you know selling hotel inventories that uh, you know and. The the CEO um, of EasyJet, his previous job was with Tui, and that's you know that's their big business is tour packaging. So he knows he knows a thing or two about it. Nice. Well, that's good news. Did, so, what did he say about the the upcoming winter season? You know, I I was reading SAS's earnings release on Wednesday, and they said they've seen no drop off in bookings despite the weak macro environment through the winter yet. Did EasyJet say anything along the same lines? Are they seeing something different? Yeah, what they said is that uh, demand is generally good and they pointed out markets like, uh, you know, the ski markets, um, which tend to do well in the winter. Um, They said, I mean, looking a little bit further ahead, they said the Easter bookings, um, I don't know what is Easter fall in April, March is here, I'm not sure, but that's starting to come. It's early, but that's starting to come in uh, pretty good. They did, however, and I don't think SAS said this because I listened to their call this morning as well. But EasyJet did say that it's on off-peak travel time. So think of like off-peak during the off-peak, you know, like a yes. let's say a Tuesday in January, or whatever. They said that is, you know, unsurprisingly, that's that's hard to stimulate. They have to cut fares. They have to use, you know, kind of dip into their their marketing tools to try to promote it and stuff. So um so yeah, it's not, don't think of it as just, you know, it's they're selling every single seed at high prices. Um, it is it is winter um in yeah, Europe. Yeah. So uh they you know cautioned on that. They said it's you know, don't there are there are flights that are hard to sell, there are seats that are hard to sell. But but I think in general, um the demand situation is still pretty good. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. That I mean that echoes, I forget what airline uh, executive said it recently, but that you know. Fridays and Sundays, peak traditionally peak days are selling very well. Demand is very strong, but they were seeing some weakness on those off-peak days, like you said, Tuesdays and stuff. Um, but yeah. overall, the demand picture is is robust for for going into the winter low season. Yeah, well, just- I think so. And and just uh, just a, another point about EasyJet before we move on is that, uh, and this is sort of interesting. The you know the CEO is asked about uh, consolidation because you know we've talked about it before, Ned, and it's kind of 
you know, we hear more and more about this airline is going to merge with that airline or Air France might be interested in Tap Portugal, or et cetera. But uh, he, ECJed Johan Lundgren, I'm not sure if his, I'm saying his name right. He downplayed that. He's, he basically, he said, nah, you know, this merger and acquisition stock is a little bit overplayed. You know, sometimes he kind of alluded to Ryanair, Michael O'Leary and saying, well, he's kind of talking his own book there. And, um, and the quote from him is, you know, who would take over whom? You're looking at some of these depositions, and it's not like you're thinking that some of them are in a great position to do transactions as you come through this. So, you know, basically saying that uh, there may not be as many deals as we might think. And some of that is because airlines are not that financially healthy to do deals. That's for sure. I mean, talk is cheap, as they say. So it's easy mm -hmm. to uh, for all these, these rumors to come out. But the actual number of deals that will get done probably will be fewer than we expect. But speaking of mergers, we are going to take a quick break and talk about a merger coming up in India. And we're back. Jay, uh, let's shift uh, Let's shift continents and go to uh, South Asia, where we're going to talk about Air India and its latest merger deal with Vistara. Yeah, so as expected, uh, this was something that's been talked about for a while. So Air Asia is going to is now owned by the Tata Group. It's uh, the government sold it off, and Tata is this very very large conglomerate, probably India's biggest or one of their biggest. And you know they've been around for decades, and uh, in fact they were the original owner for, of Air India many decades ago. But they now own Air India, but they also hold a stake in Vistara, which is a full service uh, Indian carrier, and they also hold a stake in Air Asia India. So they're going to kind of mush those all together and uh, create, you know, one quote unquote super airline. I think Air India Express is in there as well. Um, and uh, Singapore Airlines is perhaps the most interesting aspect of this. Singapore Airlines, which was a shareholder in Vistara, is going to take a 25% stake in Air India. Um, and that has some people, I was, you know, talking to some people in the industry today um, who, you know, look at that and say, well, you know, you have to start taking Air India rather ser seriously now with Singapore Airlines owning a quarter of the company um, and, and Tata as well, you know, being a private sector company. So this may be, you know, Air India has this reputation of just not being not very good on service. They've been very bloated from a staffing perspective for years. They've, you know, kind of at times perhaps overordered airplanes, this and that, underordered at times. But this may be kind of, you know, the opportunity for Air India to finally become a you know serious global contender. Absolutely. And we have to say Singapore Airlines has a remarkable track record of success, both itself and the airlines that it's invested in. Think about Scoot and, and other carriers. And, you know, one thing that really pops to me, and this this came up, um, Will Horton, uh, an analyst based airline analyst based in New York mentioned it, was that Singapore Airlines tried to get a stake of China Eastern about 12, 15 years ago, and right. they failed. And now uh, they're able to get a piece of Air India in a similarly rapidly growing market, India and China being two billion person plus markets. You know, this this really seems like a fantastic deal for Singapore Airlines to get their foot in the door. And I know some people like, you know, are a bit like it's Air India, but Tata, the Tata group has a great reputation for turning companies around. And with Singapore Airlines expertise uh, with backing them, it's uh, it. Really, I'd say, like you, you, you said, you've heard as well, improves the chances of Air India really this turnaround succeeding. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the potential is very high. As the other thing about the Indian market is that uh, so many of the players are distressed. I mean, you're taking the star out of the picture. You're taking AirAsia uh, out of the picture. So you're really left. I mean, you have Indigo, which is you know sort of the dominant player on the domestic scene, and they're always going to be a tough competitor. And they're but actually also other- pretty big on international as well, but international passenger numbers, I should say, because they only operate destinations sure in the range of their Airbus A320 Neo aircraft. But um, sorry, that was inside. They they had. A, I was looking at the data for the second quarter, and Indigo carried more passengers internationally than I expected. So they've got that. Yeah, that's no. It's, it's an important. It's an important point you make, Ned. Um, they are very large in the um, the Gulf markets. To, to India, to and from India, which are very large. It's a very, very, very large migrant worker flow. I mean, almost think of it like, you know, the, the U.S. Mexico market or the, uh, you know, German Turkish market, where you just have a, like just a large number of migrant worker flows. Right. So they are Indigo is very big in that, and as you mentioned, they can use their narrow bodies because of the distance, and they're also big uh, the ASEAN region. So right. over to Singapore and Thailand, um, that's narrow body capable as well. So Indigo has been a player and they're starting, you know, they have these longer range A321s now. They're starting to creep out into, I think they're doing Turkey now. Um, and they've even, they've actually even leased some wide bodies, which is very strange for them. Um, we'll see if that's just a temporary thing to get some capacity, badly needed capacity in there, or, you know, whether that's kind of a, a, a prelude to something more strategic, you know, maybe they're out, go out and buy wide bodies. Um, which they flirted with that idea before. They've even Indigo has flirted with the idea of buying Air India in the past. Um, but in any case, you know, back to Air India itself. Yeah, you, they do kind of they find themselves in this situation where the competitive landscape in India is, you know, rather subdued now. Um, remember, Jet Airways is gone. They're trying to come back, but that's very suspect. Um, there's that new one, Akasa. I mean, they're you know they're 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 competitors, but it's but it's players, but they're limited. They're small. They're you know and yep, like. Yep. like um, Air India still holds so many of the international air rights into and out of India under a lot of the bilateral uh, de- bilateral air transport deals the country has uh, around the world. So it's it's really difficult internationally for a competitor to challenge Air India on, on many of the major routes. I mean, to the Gulf, to ASEAN countries, yes, but there are a lot of other markets where you know, use bilateral uh, restrictions give Air India the upper hand. Yeah, and the challenge then will be so Air India is going to have this upper hand on these intercontinental routes. Um, they're also, I believe, with Vistara now too, and notwithstanding what I just said about Indigo leasing wide bodies, I think Air India is really the only wide body player in India now. So they're the only ones that can reach markets like the U.S. and you know, kind of East Asia and kind of deep into Europe. So the question is, can they succeed in those kind of routes? And and the challenge there is really you're competing with the Gulf carriers. So we've and we've we've talked about this before, I think, in the podcast, where you know a place like Dubai, Dubai is essentially a hub for India. It's kind of an offshore hub, and they handle so many of the connections that go into and out of uh, India. And you know, Emirates can just really you know that just the, their menu of destinations that they they can serve is is very formidable. So can you know Air India recreate something like Dubai in a, in Mumbai or in Delhi? Um, and one problem is that you have both, and you know the fact that there you have a split market between Mumbai and Delhi is not good. You, in ge- generally speaking, when you want to create a good hub, you want to concentrate all your assets in one city. So I suppose they're going to try, try to do that in Delhi. Um, 
And, you know, can that succeed? Well, maybe. I mean, they're definitely, you know, Dubai definitely has some advantages in terms of, you know, the costs are lower um, uh, and uh, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, they get more government support over there. But uh, but that's, you know, there's you can see that possibly being an opportunity um, that Air India is able to realize. Now, of course, the other thing that will help determine Air India's success is the future growth of the Indian economy, which is, uh, you know, I think people are pretty optimistic about, especially with China's economy starting to slow in a very kind of systemic, structural kind of way. Some people hope that Air India could kind of, you know, replace China as, as somewhat, you know, global growth, growth engine um, or growth engine, at least for, you know, travel and tourism. Absolutely. And, and we see we see that going on with the U.S. airlines. I mean, with China closed, we've seen American, Delta and United all add flights to India, though some of those have been hindered by the closure of Russian airspace. But we're definitely seeing India become a more popular market for a lot of airlines. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a market to watch um, with, you know, China kind of off the map right now um, and just, you know, India's sheer size. It's 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 something that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a place with a lot of potential for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jay, always a pleasure, and we're out of time for this this edition of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Uh, listeners, if you want to reach myself, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, have a good rest of your week. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.